Last week, I came into the office and Kathy Harrison came up to me and said, what, what happened last Sunday? I heard something about circus peanuts being thrown around in the second service. What's going on? And so if you heard anything like that, I'll just to let you know. In between services last week, because the theme of risk is orange, somebody brought me in orange circus peanuts because they know I like them. And I had a whole bunch of orange circus peanuts, and I had them up on the, up on the pulpit last week. And I'm, I'm eating every, every once in a while I'm eating. And halfway through, I hear somebody way in the back over there coughing like crazy. And you know when you're preaching and somebody coughs or the cell phone goes off, it's hard to keep your attention. And I look over there, and it's Kathy Clement. You know Joe Clement. Joe is often a greeter. Really, he's got a nice shiny head, looks like Mr. Clean, smiles all the time. You know who I'm talking about. Actually, these name tags are because of Joe Clement. He loves those name tags. And his wife, Kathy's half dying. I say, Kathy, how are you doing? She goes, I'm all right. I said, you want a circus peanut to help you? She goes, yeah, I love circus peanuts. So I took a circus peanut, and I threw it. Perfect spiral. Derek can attest. He was sitting over there. And all Kathy, all she did is she went like this, and it landed right there in the palm of her hand. She ate it, and it stopped her cough. Dead. Everybody gave her a standing O. My wife at lunch in the afternoon last Sunday said, Chris, sometimes you are so embarrassing. Why do you do that? And I said, Michelle, you know why I do that? Because I'm a person of risk. And that's what our whole theme is about, man. We have to be people of risk. Actually, the, there's, there's a very strategic reason why we've done that. Ken and I talked about it a little bit this morning. But the idea is, wherever you go, wherever you work, Wherever you live, wherever you go to school, you need to become more and more a person of risk. And I thought the word risk would be very easy to remember. Because I think we're scared. I think oftentimes we as Christians don't take the higher ground. We don't push. We don't push the kingdom of God. We let things happen to us. Often pastors, all they do is put out fires rather than give us a proactive plan to be like Christ in the world. And to me, that simple little acronym is so little, easy to remember. So I walk into work. I'm at a, uh, I, I work in a tool and die shop. I'm, I'm at my machine. I got to remember who I am. I'm Christ. He lives in me. Or I go into the cafeteria at school where people are telling rude jokes. Remember who is walking in there with you. I'm at home with my kid. My husband's at work. Got to change a dirty diaper. I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm complaining. Remember who you are. You have the Spirit of God in you. That's what R stands for. Sometimes I think we forget that. If you just remember that, it will change your life. Then the second thing is initiate. Initiate love. People don't initiate anymore. We let things happen to us rather than us happening to them. That's what I even said earlier. We need to initiate. That's what I stands for. And as we initiate, we need to start becoming the kind of people that Jesus would want us to be, have the same attitude and priorities. So today we're going to talk about priorities. And before we get to S, what was Jesus' priority whenever he entered into a room, whenever he met somebody, whenever he walked down the road in Israel, or he went to the Sea of Galilee to go fishing. What was his priority? 
And I just want to offer to you a very simple verse. Again, these verses I pick are very simple. I'd like you to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 34. And I would like to offer this up to you as what I think was his whole life. The priority of every situation he entered into. First time I ever heard this verse. I tried to apply this for a whole year. And I, it was really about the second year I was a Christian. I tried to apply this verse every day. I woke up, I'd say it, and it changed me. And here's what it says. Matthew, uh, Mark 10, verse 34. Is that the right verse? Go ahead and hit it. I think it's Mark 10, 45. Not 34, 45. It says, for even a son of man, the son of man, came not to be served. But to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's overwhelming. The son of man, he did not come into the world to be served. He should have been. I mean, if you understand where he was, he was sitting according to Isaiah chapter 40, over the whole universe. Even a perspective it gives, Jehovah God, Jesus, in comparison to him, we are like grasshoppers. That's how Isaiah 40 puts it. The earth is his footstool. And he comes to earth to serve. So every situation he went into, it's very clear he came to serve, to give. To be a blessing. So what does S stand for? Simple. So not only do I remember who I am when I enter a situation, not only should I initiate love, but my initiation should be for the purpose of serving. Serving others. So if you want to be a person of risk, serve others. That's so hard to do. But really, the choices are simple. According to Mark 10.45, you have two singular choices. We have to make this choice every day and everywhere we go. We can initiate for the purpose of serving ourselves or serving others. So as it says, Jesus came to be served. Did he come to be served or to serve? Those are your two choices. Really, they're not hard. Even right here, as you are sitting, you have either come to this church to be served or to serve. Very simple. I'll explain it. If you have come to be served, what you want from me right now is to entertain you. What you want from the music is to make sure it's done so well, there's no hiccups. Man, Jared didn't mess up. He made me cry a little bit. Kelly sang that song beautifully and I felt so good in there and when I go home I can say, oh, that music touched me. If it didn't touch me and they didn't play the music I wanted, I get kind of mad. So do you come to church to be served or do you come to church to serve to say, does God really, did Jesus really do this? Man, and that means I need to serve. It, and it does, those words don't matter how well I say them or how funny I am. That it says that. And if I come to serve, I come to get 
marching orders from my Lord. Two choices, two different perspectives. All of life can be filtered through these two choices. Should I benefit myself today or should I benefit others? Which one should I choose? Even the late uh, President of the United States, President John F. Kennedy understood this. You can remember his famous line on his inauguration day, my fellow Americans. He, he kind of had that uh, uh, New Jersey, like the Massachusetts, Connecticut, my fellow Americans. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He's got it. Did you come to this country to be served by this country or to serve it? Which one is the right choice for you? If we were to listen to current political talk, if you listen to the world around us, it sure seems like most politicians run on the platform that I will give you what you want. If you elect me, I'll give you what you want. So actually they are catering, pandering to people who want to be served. Serve me. Actually, an article that came out last year in Forbes magazine, the title said, we've crossed the tipping point. Most Americans are receiving government benefits. In 2011, some 49.2% of U.S. households received benefits when, from one or more government programs. About 151 million out of an estimated 306.8 million Americans, according to U.S. Census Bureau data released October. And with the change in health care, some 10 million Americans, or a total of about 161 million, are now getting government subsidies. So in Forbes magazine, they said we've reached a tipping point where really people come to the United States to be served. What's, Ken and I were talking about it. it we, we've even reached a point where people don't enter the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines necessarily because they think they're going to go fight. They enter the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines so they can get college education and a good benefit package. They come to be served. Not saying all do. I'm saying a lot do, honestly. If we were to watch people in the public square, if we were to watch our friends and neighbors, doesn't it seem like everyone is waiting to be served? We demand our rights. Give me my just due. I drive in. I want a bacon double cheeseburger hot and now. It's who we are. This perspective can even pervade the home where husbands want their wives to cook, clean, quiet the baby because I need to sit and watch my show. Tigers are on. You have wives wanting money to spend and the freedom to go country line dinner uh, dancing with all their girlfriends while they leave their kids at home. And then you have children, of course, sitting on couches wanting quick internet service for their electronic devices that they've replaced for their blankies. They don't have blankies anymore. they got iPhones that they cuddle up with at night. We want to be served. Could say it in a very serious voice. Every single day, millions of red-blooded Americans across the vast and fruited plains from the shores of Boston to the tides of San Francisco daily join together with one voice, hands outstretched with the passion, conviction, and urgency of Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I don't care how, I want it now. But even though everyone is doing it, is this the right attitude? Is this the right choice as a Christian? Look again at Mark 10, 45. Just look at it a second. 
It shows us how our Savior viewed the world. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So according to Jesus, the answer is serve. In the verse it says, he became a ransom for many. The word ransom means to make a payment. He's making a payment to release people from slavery. That's what ransom is. So it says he's come to serve and become a ransom. It means he came to be a payment to release people. So he served us by paying what we should have paid. Isaiah 53 is very graphic. It says this payment, it was so, it was so beyond, we didn't even want to look at him. His face was so disfigured, marred, that how we just couldn't look upon him. And then Isaiah 53, 5 states it like this. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquity. So in his service, he was crushed. This word crushed means, often it's translated bruise, humiliated. But it means that Jesus was willing to be struck down, battered, and broken, so you and I would be set free. That's what that verse means. Because our iniquities kept us as slaves. Guilty before a holy God. And it gets, it gets even better. It was his choice to serve us. In John eleven eighteen, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So he voluntarily chose to serve. So he himself made the choice to serve, knowing that that choice required full payment, crushing, humiliation, being bruised. Now here comes the hard part, and this goes back to our risk analogy deal thing. It's a logical statement. If Jesus made that choice, the logical progression of being an ambassador to Jesus means I am to represent him in such a way that I need to be willing to be crushed as well as I serve others. What? Well, we're his ambassadors, aren't we? An ambassador is a representative of him. So if he was willing to be crushed, logically, so should I. Have you ever been crushed as you serve others? Ouch. Well, let's uh, look at it like this. Since uh, our acronym is RISK, let's play the game RISK, hypothetically. Have you ever played the board game RISK? Very simple game. You try to win the world. You try to you battle fronts on every continent. You try to get your pieces on every one where you finally take the whole board over. And it's yours. You own it. Well, in the game of life, we play the same game. I think there's four battlefronts you are going to be waging war in. And the way you win is by serving, not by being served in these worlds. It's a hard battle. It's a battle that sometimes you're going to be crushed in. So I want to walk through these four areas because they need to be conquered. Battles need to be waged. And we do this, we battle by being willing to be crushed. So let's take a look at them, because everybody has these same four areas. Every one of you has these same 
four arenas in your life. And the first one is the one that uh, we, all, we all have. It's the home. First battlefield, home. This is the place where we're often the most selfish. This is the place where we often demand service the most. Listen to what Scripture says. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. This is a general verse, but I think it's generally true in the home too. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And he's talking about people who are Christians, and it says, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if you have received anything from Christ, then act like this. And what should we act like? Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That phrase, more significant, is the key. So everybody you come across, their significance level should be higher than yours. What that is, is that means you are serving them. It's a position of service. So if we are going to be following the example of Jesus in the home, we must serve even to the point of being crushed. It sounds well and good until you get to the normal, everyday life. That means I am to treat my wife, or my husband, my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters as more significant than myself. You've got to be kidding me. Why should I? They are my family. They are used to having me abuse them. They're used to my abuse. Actually, they... It's normal for them for me to be a jerk in the home. Why? Aren't you an ambassador? Yeah, but the home doesn't count. Why doesn't the home count? Why doesn't the home count? For most of us in here, it doesn't count. It's almost as if when we're inside the door and the doors are closed, we can be carnal, fleshly people. Once I get out, then I put on a nice face for Jesus. Why do you think a lot of Christian kids quit being Christians because their parents don't act like it in the home? It's the most important battlefield. Flat out, the most important. Why should I serve? Because Jesus did. Let's just take two scenarios. Everyone's sitting down for dinner. Spaghetti dinner was great. Everybody slurped up that last noodle, a little bit of sauce on the side of their mouth, ate that last crust, crusty, crispy, tasty, salty garlic bread. Everybody's sitting there with big bellies. <sighs> but if you look on the table, there's a lot of dirty dishes. At this point, the question must be asked, who will serve? Of course, the answer's obvious. Mom will. She always does. Dad gets to go watch TV. The kids get to go play. But let's put our JFK voice to this a second. Ask not what mom can do for you, but ask what you can do for your mom. Hey, clap, mom. It's okay. I will go after you, though, Jackie. Hang in there. Or ask not who's going to clean the dirty plates. Ask if you can clean the dirty plates. But if I clean the plates, my hands get dirty and all that water. Jesus was crushed. 
Do you see the relevance of being like him? It will change everything. Those things you suffer are nothing. It's TV time. Your son wants to go outside and play with you. Your daughter wants you to watch her show. Your wife wants to talk about anything and everything, but you're in the middle of your Netflix series that you've been binge-watching, and you can't stop now. Ask yourself, is the family there to serve you, or is the family there for you to love and serve them? What do you do? Well, what would John F. Kennedy say? Ask not what television show you can watch, but ask, how can you watch and love your family? Home is the hardest place, but it's where it should start. That's battlefield home. Second battlefield is battlefield work. This is the second area of our life, and I think it's the place where we spend a majority of our time. You've probably heard the great uh, statement that said, we no longer work at work, we worship at work, we work at our play, and we worship or we play at our worship, that's how they say it. But we, have, we do worship our work. Scripture tells us very clearly how to serve. Go to Colossians, Philippians, and in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, whatever you do, 3.23, whatever you do, and it comes right underneath bond servants talking about how slaves, doulas, should serve their masters. They worked. It's their work. A lot of you view your work like you are the slave to the master. And so in line, whatever you do, work heartily. That means whatever you got, do it. As for the Lord and not for men. And the reason is knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. But the point is, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. If we are following the example of Jesus at work, we must serve our boss and our company even to the point of being crushed. That's hard. You might even say, it sounds all well and good until you have my job. You don't understand my job. I am to serve heartily with all I got as if God himself is my boss. Well, why should I when my job is mundane or boring or insignificant? Like emptying garbage or working a drill press. Why should I work heartily? I lose my life there because Jesus did. Because Jesus did and Jesus would. Let's get practical. Let's say all I do is drive a bus or let's say all I do is tar roofs or check people out at a cash register. What good is that? Well, it all depends if you are doing it genuinely to serve people or serve yourself. I have been on buses where bus drivers are there just to serve themselves. And I've been on buses where the bus driver is there to serve you. There is a vast difference. There's a vast difference. I have been at ca checkout counters where the person checking me out is mean, grumpy, irritated, and really doesn't want to serve you. But I've been at some checkout counters where they are asking me about myself and they care about me. It's a vast difference. I have worked some construction jobs where the guys are mean, cranky, rude. And I've been at some construction jobs with some guys who serve to help you. It's incredible difference. What would John F. Kennedy say? Ask not what your company 
can do for you. Ask what you can do for your company. What can you do? That's the second area. The third area is a tough one. It's one we shouldn't dwell into, but it's your hobby. Your hobby. What do we do with our leisure time? The place where we really want to be alone and do our own thing. Scripture tells us very clearly in 1 Timothy, go over a couple books to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. First Timothy six seventeen says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You might say, wait a minute, time out. I'll even use my whistle. Time out. It's about rich people. What's this have to do with leisure? I'm not rich. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. How much leisure time do you have in a normal week or in a normal day? See, leisure time is the byproduct of a rich nation. Most nations don't have that byproduct, or they didn't. And we've been afforded leisure and luxury like no other nation on the earth before us. We have time galore. The first thing God says in verse 17 at the very end is enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy it. I'm not here to say don't enjoy it. Be mean and grumpy and just pray all day long. He says enjoy things that he gives you. Enjoy the riches. Enjoy the luxury. Enjoy the opportunity he gives you. Be thankful, though, about it. It's a gift from him. Be thankful. But also, then it goes on, it says, but also be generous and ready to share. Hobbies, leisure, and recreation in America has the idea of individual stress release and purchasing toys for my maximum enjoyment where I can be left alone. This is saying be generous. Be willing to include your riches to be given to others. Be generous. Have you ever thought of using your hobby and leisure as a way to serve others? I would just first say, parents, have you ever made your children your hobby? It's an amazing hobby to have. Especially when they're in your home, you don't have them for too long, make them your hobby. Enjoy who they are. But I would say, let's say you're a sports fan, and I'm not against being a sports fan, but I, because I'm one myself, but let's say you like tailgating. I've been with a person that loves to tailgate, but he loves taking people tailgating. And when he tailgates, he does it to serve the other person. And when you go tailgating with him, he listens to you, he asks about you, and he serves you, and he wants you to have a great time. And it's so much fun to be at this person when he tailgates. I was talking with Derek this last week. Derek Max, who's our youth pastor, he's taken up the hobby of trapping. He traps raccoons. But he's been able to talk to more teens from his ministry, taking them out trapping in the woods with him than he's than you could ever imagine. Really, the reason he was saved is because his youth pastor would take him to the basketball courts to enjoy playing basketball with him. 
Bring people along with you when you have your hobby. John F. Kennedy would say, ask not what hobby you can do for yourself and go hide, but rather ask what hobby you can invite others to enjoy with you. Do you serve people with your hobby, or do you just want to be served? That's my money. It's my time. Get out. And then the fourth hobby, and this is the hobby or the fourth area, battlefield. You hear from us an awful lot because this is really the only place you'll hear it. That's why you hear from us an awful lot about it. It's because this is the only place you'll hear it. It's called the church. It's a real place. It's a very important place. Go to Romans chapter 12, 6. This is a fascinating verse. This is the place Jesus wants us to spend some of our time for the purpose of furthering his name as a joined body. You can look that up in Ephesians 3.10. But Romans 12.6 says, Having gifts, or you can start in verse 5, We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That Just that in itself is huge. Individually we're members of one another? What? I don't want you to know who... You have no rights on me. Well, apparently this, Paul didn't think so. But verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us, this is all I really want you to look at, let us use them. So that means we have gifts to be used within a body, because this is within a church context. Use them as if you should consider using them. And if we are going to be following the example of Jesus, who died for his church, something he loved tremendously, shouldn't we also, if we're ambassadors? And shouldn't we serve it even to the point of being crushed? Sounds well, well and good until you've ever been hurt or insulted in church. You know, church hurts people more than any other place. It's funny, I in my blog about two months ago, I was... I blogged about this uh, new brand of Christian. There's a new brand of Christian called a done, D-O-N-E Christian. I'm done. These are people who have had enough of playing church, putting up with frustrating people, going through the motions, and they want to be set free from any organization or institution religion, so they're done. One Christian blogger wrote this, I am done with evangelical church as usual. I'm done with any ministry obligation to that category and identity. I can't do it anymore, neither can my family. In that sense, I'm graduating. That said, there's a flip side to the equation, one that makes this promotion an emotional and spiritual move up rather than merely an ideological move left. Really, I find myself just as disinterested in being a good progressive as I am in being a good evangelical. This is a moving forward in that strange lane sometimes called the messy middle. There's just not enough reason to stay committed to church institutions anymore. So he's done. Tired. The same old, same old, aggravating people. So he's just done. And he says that's graduating. Graduating to what? Independence. And being served. Actually is what he means. You can be left alone. Instead of being done, Romans says to use our gifts. It's a call to serve the local body. 
called to serve. Ask, John F. Kennedy, ask not what the church can do for you, but ask what the church, what you can do for the church. These are the four areas of the risk battlefield. How are you doing on them? In each one of them, would you say you're being served in those or you're serving in those? Because we have all four. Are you winning the game or losing? Question, how do you know when you've served enough? And I'm not sure that's the right question. I think the question that should be asked is, what is the goal of serving? What does it mean you win? What is the goal? What is my objective in serving? I think it's a matter of perspective. The goal isn't just to serve and give yourself so you'll be crushed and just be beat up so you can be beat up. I think there's an end game to why God has asked you to serve. And look at Hebrews 12 too. I think it's, it goes back to following the example of Christ. Hebrews 12 too. It explains to us why he was crushed. Jesus wasn't crushed just to be crushed. He wasn't humiliated just because he enjoyed being humiliated. There's an end game to it. And Hebrews 12, too, to me, is one of the most beautiful explanations of why the king of glory came to be dung, or worm, as he would say. Verse 2 says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's the point? In the middle of there, the phrase, the joy. He did all of it for the joy. He re, he, because he was, he was crushed because he receives joy, and he knows we will receive joy in our salvation. We are going to spend eternity with him someday. Someday we are going to look just like him. Someday we won't have to battle sin anymore. Someday Jesus will have me just as he's always wanted me. He can dwell with me forever. That's his joy. That's my joy. And so for that joy, he was crushed. So if we are to be his ambassadors, I serve others for one reason. To find my joy and other people's joy. That when people receive goodness from me, I should delight in their delight. I should delight, yes, that some of my service will lead to salvation, but I think even more than that, that I am being a blessing. I am being like Christ. And in my being like Christ, they are receiving joy. And because they're receiving joy, I should find my joy in that. And if I find joy in that, crushing means nothing. You understand this more than you know. You'll, go, you'll, you'll work your kids in homework all night, and it's a crushing to you as a parent. Sometimes it's terrible going through algebraic formulas with your kids, helping them work through it when they're crying and they're mad and they're angry. But then when they graduate up on the thing and they get high honors and they are happy about it, so are you. That joy is worth the joy. I serve at home because I find joy in my wife's joy. I serve at home because I do find joy in my children's joy. I serve here at work because I do find joy in your joy. I can't tell you, and some of you know Christ or understand it, or you give me circus peanuts. It's joyful. Don't give me any more. I have enough. When I serve my boss at a mundane job, I find joy in his appreciation and joy. 
I serve hard at my hobby because I find joy in sharing joy. I serve hard at church because I find joy in having others find their joy in Christ. I'll just leave on a side note. There's a big, there's a big question. I brought it up with Ken. Many Christian leaders wonder, should we serve only if it's going to be an opportunity to share the gospel and see people saved? Should we only be kind if it results in somebody coming to Christ, or do we serve no matter what? It's a huge question, because some people only serve if it ends in the gospel. Last year, I was asked by a couple who were having terrible troubles in their marriage, terrible, if I would help them. So I sat down with one of them before just to talk to him, and a guy said, look, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in all that Jesus stuff, but I need help. Will you meet with me and my wife? So what do I do? Here's what I said to him. I said, I am a pastor. I believe in Jesus. I believe his word is real, and I believe he exists. So the advice I'm always going to give you will center on Christ. If you can deal with those two assumptions, I'll help you. I'll tell you what, God does amazing things. Their marriage was, was changed because his principles work. I shared the gospel. Don't think, oh boy, he's he's being a sellout. I talk about. I can't help but talking about Jesus. But what was really funny at the end of this counseling, the guy said, "You know that Bible does have a lot of great advice in there." <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I think because God wrote it, I think He knows what He's doing. Did they come to Christ? No, I see Him once in a while, but they are a lot more joyful. But if you think about it, God died for the whole world even when the vast majority still rejected him. So must we. On the bottom of, if you've been following along in your notes, on the bottom of your page I have a final question for you. And it's simple. It's a very simple question. The question is, are you happy? And I got two boxes in there, yes or no. Right now, think about that question. Are you happy in Check a box, because then I have one final comment. Are you happy, yes or no? If the answer is no, I have found over the years that most unhappy people are waiting to be served. And whenever I've run across a truly happy person, I'm telling you, overwhelmingly, more times than not, They love to serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and uh, this verse. This verse is a life changer. Help us, God, to be like your son. Help us to be willing to serve, God. In your name we pray.